0: You're listening to 101.9 FM, KPCRLP, Santa Cruz. Tony Duchesne here, and welcome to Drinks with Tony. My guest this week is Cecil Castellucci. She is the author of Shifting Earth, as well as the writer of other comics, including the DC comic books, Batgirl and others. I'm teaching a free creative writing workshop in Los Angeles on Wednesday, February 8th, at the Los Feliz Public Library at 6 p.m. There is no registration needed. All you need to do is show up at the Los Feliz Branch Library on Franklin and Hillhurst at 6 p.m. on February 8th for my free creative writing workshop. For more information, go to lapl.org or TonyDuchesne.com. And now, Cecil and I discuss The Craft of Creating Comics, film clubs in Los Angeles in the 1990s, how to collaborate with artists and illustrators as a writer, how to write an opera, yes, an opera, and so much more.
1: Hi, my name is Cecil Castellucci, and you're listening to Drinks with Tony. Get on the Drinks
2: with Tony show.
0: Yeah. You're listening to Drinks with Tony. I'm your host, Tony Duchesne. Today on the show, we have Cecil Castellucci, She's the author of Shifting Earth, a graphic novel. Cecil, hi. Hi, how are you today? I'm okay. As you can see, I got some divine light. I know this is audio release only, but I got some weird divine glare light glow behind me. So I think the new lunar year, the lunar lunar new year is shining down upon us.
1: It's true. It's true. Also, it's that low winter sun that happens in uh, Southern California. That's so beautiful. So I think it's that as well.
0: Yeah, it's such a trip. And and it's because you were telling me before we started recording about how cold it is. I love this weather because I'm from San Francisco. And it's just like, it's been a delight for me to like wear a jacket and scarf every day. (laughs)
1: I mean, I do love a good sweater, a sweater. I mean, you know, I've lived, I I grew up in New York city. I'm Canadian. So, you know, um, uh, from Montreal as well. And so <clears throat> I love wearing tights and sweaters, but what I don't like is, and I know everybody makes fun of us, Southern California people for being cold in winter when it's always so beautiful, but we don't, I don't have insulation in my house. So it's, it's drafty, you know?
0: Yeah. We're not, they don't understand. We're not prepared for it.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: It's so, and this yeah. has been and I I just I was just we don't have to talk about the weather the whole yeah, exactly. time, Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah but this has been such a fun winter for me because it kind of reminds me of when I first moved to LA around 2014. I remembered moving and having a a cold winter, cold rainy winter like this. And I was like, LA's awesome. This is great. <laughs> and then I was like, When's that when's that winter coming back? When's that well, winter coming back? Huge. And now we got
1: it. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's special here.
0: Yeah. So you, uh, when did you move from Canada to New York?
1: Uh, I actually, no, I moved from New York to Canada. Okay. Uh, and then my, cause my parents moved back home. I'm French Canadian.
0: Uh, do you um, parle Francais? Oui, je parle Francais. Oh, um, ooh la and, la.
1: <laughs> and, uh, uh, and then I moved uh, to LA in 96. So I've been here a while.
0: Cool. What was it like growing up? Um, cause you, you were you growing up where were, you like, were your prime young years in New York city or were they yeah. in Montreal? They were New York oh. city.
1: Yep. Yeah. I grew up in the Bronx and, um, I went to the High School Performing Arts, which is now LaGuardia, which is, if you saw the movie Fame, uh, that's the school I went to. I still and, haven't um, seen it.
0: And i that's actually on my list of things to watch. Oh, yeah. Fame, well, there's Fame. And then there's the other dance movie from the early 80s that I need to see, too. Go ahead. Flash to, dance. It,
1: yeah. Flash yeah. dance. Oh, yeah, yeah. OK, yeah. OK, go ahead. Um, so, yeah. So I went to that high school and um, uh, studied theater um, and, uh, yeah, so uh, and then moved to Montreal to follow my parents when I ran out of money uh, because I was going to NYU film school and I ran out of money. And so my parents were like, come to Canada. So I finished film school in Montreal.
0: So you were in your, were you, what part of the film industry were you thinking that you were going to be in? When at that age,
1: I thought that I was going to become a, a great film director, and um actually wrote you a memoir. You still can, yeah. I know. i i wrote a <laughs> I wrote a memoir called Girl on Film that was published by Archaea Boom Studios, and it's um mm-hmm. it's about me making every single artistic decision in my life to become the world's greatest filmmaker, um and that like that thing that happens when we're artists where you even though you you point yourself in one direction another art form kind of like you know sort of brings you along its merry way um so yeah so I decided that I wanted to make films when I saw Star Wars uh the A New Hope and I made every single decision like the reason why I went to the high school performing arts was because I was calling up NYU film when I was ten, and being like, "When can I apply?" and they were like, "You have to go to high school," and I was like, "Ugh, high school! It's <laughs> such a waste <laughs> of years, you know, my precious years." So I thought, "Oh, well, what if I go to an acting high school and train myself to become an actor's director, you know?" And so it's like every single thing was like towards becoming a filmmaker. Um, and uh, uh, so that that was that was that. <laughs>
0: That's it. I, I need to read that memoir. When did that come out? Uh
1: I think uh 20 2019, 2018. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah, it's yeah. It's new. recent. Yeah, yeah. Yeah.
0: It is interesting. Way, like, so when so was that when did the writing bug? When did you realize, wait a second, I'm I'm a writer. This is my soul.
1: I mean, I think it was always there. I mean, I think I was always, you know, like uh uh my my junior high school friends, uh who I'm still hang out with, um, make fun of me because I used to, um, I used to write a soap opera uh, that included all the gossip of everybody in middle school. And I would like type up sort of the drama. It was like Riverdale General Hospital. And like, you know, and then I would pass out the pages like at lunchtime, (laughs) you know, for people to read the newest episode of, you know, whatever. So I think it was always a part of what I was doing. And then when I was in film school, when I, um, in Montreal at Concordia university, I, um, I, uh, I joined a a indie rock band, you know? Um, and, uh, so became a musician. And I started thinking of stories as like, you know, I was telling stories through, through music. And then, you know, it's just, that's like, now I kind of feel like, you know, cause I write opera librettos, I write comic books, I write, you know, um, novels, uh, I, I, I'm trying to write plays now. Like I wrote, I've written, you know, punk songs, um, that like, I like to think of it as like, a, um, you know, a, a story comes to me and, um, and then I decide what way would be best served, you know to tell that that story and it's funny because i haven't written a screenplay or like television which is what got me into this in the first place but um but yeah i kind of feel like you know visual artists they have this toolbox where they can use charcoals or oil paints or watercolors or pencils or you know whatever ink um and however they draw a scene will look slightly different depending on the tool that they have and i feel like it's the same way with stories right like how you tell it Um, If you tell it as a comic book, as an opera, as a punk song, as a a novel, um, you know, it's slightly different. So um, so, yeah. So in a way, I think wanting to become the world's greatest filmmaker and failing at it um, and gay and being in film school and joining a punk band kind of opened up my life to stories that that's really what it's all about. Yeah. And it's the same thing. <laughs> you know like, yeah, yeah, it's the,
0: that's the beauty of everything is like our life is a story. yeah, we get to dive into just storytelling. how yeah, how amazing is that? What punk band were you in?
1: Oh, I had a band called Nerdy Girl. Well, the yeah. first one I was in was called Bite. and then yeah. I had a um band called Nerdy Girl. And uh, and then um, I moved to L.A. because my label was here. It was a, a place called No Life Records, which if you are an Angelino from the 90s, you will remember that it was on uh, Highland. No, La Brea Highland and um, uh, 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 Santa Monica. And it was great. You used to have these amazing in stores um, and stuff. And it was a little indie rock label.
0: Well, that's uh, great so I, I, they had they had a it was a record store and a and label, a label. Okay. yeah
1: and they had in stores as well like mm. they had like everybody played there it was incredible
0: mm. um
1: and uh i so i i then went under my name my punk name which was uh, cecil c skull um which is my instagram name and if anybody wonders why that's my instagram name it's because it's my punk name um and not bite but nerdy girl and cecil c skull they're on spotify and um uh, you know, app iTunes and, you know, any streaming service. So, you can so you're making a, t-
0: that's where all your money's coming from yeah, is music, I mean, like, obviously I'm
1: rolling in. I, I don't think <laughs> I've ever made a single dime on, uh, on them, um, being up there, but, um, but it's nice to have it up there, you know, just in, because I feel like it's just good to have documentation of the arts that you've done, you know, and that's a, it's a big part of my history. It's what brought me to Los Angeles and it's, um, you know, it was, I I call it my first career. My first career was being in an indie rock band, you know, because we put out CDs and seven inches and I toured the U S and Canada. And like, that was a part of my life. You were, you were were
0: in a van doing the, doing the whole tour, doing the
1: thing, you know? And so, um, and then came here and then when, you know, when um, in 1999, 2000s, when uh you know the whole mp3 revolution happened and like all the um all my friends who are like on major labels um like a and m and like whatever like they all all those labels folded and everybody lost their record deals and um even my label folded i was on cargo in canada and that folded and um and so then it was like okay well what do i do next and i'd always wanted to write children's books and so I was like, okay, well, I guess now I'm going to become an author. And that was. That's
0: what you did is you, yep. you, you, you were, you were punk rock until you, yep. until it was just like, it was over. And then yep. you're like, now I'm a children's author. Yep. Wow. Yep.
1: Yeah. Yeah. There's something
0: very interesting. What Cause when mm. you're in junior high and you're, and you're, you have such forward thinking that you're making phone calls to a university, <laughs> yeah. I, it's just like, that, that, that's. The, if one they should just immediately said hey you know what give us a call because we'll take you and we'll we'll because because you did got you know? it. You, you, like yeah. most of us don't get you know most of people most people don't get it at all some of us it takes a long time to get it and you're getting it and you went before right when you're hitting double digit uh years
1: yeah yeah i mean i mean i just knew that i wanted to be an artist i knew that i yeah. wanted to tell stories And I think I was so obsessed with Star Wars that I just assumed that that was what you did, you know, but like, um, you know, I mean, I was very serious about it. Like when I was 17, I got an internship at Women Make Movies, which was a a feminist film distribution company. When I was in Montreal, I worked at a feminist video collective. I mean, I was like, you know, very uh, determined, um, but, you know, I enjoyed being in a band. And so that was sort of like, well, why don't I do this and, and stuff? And it doesn't mean that um, I did make a movie at some point. Cause I had sort of promised myself, I will make a feature film by the time I'm 35. And, um, and so I did, and I had a film club here in Los Angeles for a while um, called alpha 60 that I did with um, this um, guy, Neil Matsumoto and uh, Nick McCarthy, who's a filmmaker. Now he does uh, some horror films. Um, and it was uh, because you know, we were like, oh, we're in Hollywood. And like, you know, all these people say they want to make movies, but then nobody ever does anything. So we had this film collective that we did at the Echo Park Film Center. And it was um, every week. No. So you would get we we had a a word or phrase. So like a walk is as good as a hit or like pros and cons. And you would have we would send out to whoever was interested. You had two weeks to write a five minute script. And this was like at the time of like, you know, the sort of DV, you know, mm-hmm. revolution, like in 2000s. Yeah. And um, and then we would all meet at a cafe and everybody would put their name in a pot and you'd pick someone else's script. And then you had four weeks to shoot and edit a film. And uh, the rule was that you could throw out the script, but you had to keep the heart of whatever was in the script. And it was one of the best writing lessons I ever learned because Um, what I learned what, and we did it for like two years, every six weeks, we would make like five minute films. And, um, and, uh, what was amazing about it was that everybody always thought that the script that they wrote was the best script ever. And the script that they got was the worst script ever. (laughs) And it was really all about sort of, I think, training oneself to let go of the preciousness of your work. And, um, at least that's what I learned. And like our you know, you know, there there are a lot of like film clubs that like you know, film 101 and like all these, you know, sort of 24 hour film things and stuff. Yeah. Our whole goal, our I mean, this is how I guess punk we were, we were like the whole point of our club was that you would do our club for a while and then you quit and got yourself a career. Like that was what, <laughs> but like our goal was that the club would fail because we would all go and actually go do things, which some people did, you know, um, uh, uh, Kevin Gruart, who, um, was an editor, but now he directs some, I think he's doing a saw film, you know, like people went, Nick was doing horror films. Like people went on to, you know, um, Uh, to do things. So, um, yeah. (laughs) Wow. Yeah.
0: Go get her.
1: Yeah. I haven't talked about alpha 60 in a long time. And I keep forgetting that it was like really awesome. Like it was an awesome training wheels for just being an artist and just sort of throwing yourself into, um, into the work.
0: Yeah. And finally having access to, uh, cameras that can, that you can dump the footage, and actually do an edit on a yeah. computer. Yeah. I mean, that's that's what was yeah. opening everything up at that yeah. time. If I remember. Yeah,
1: exactly. Yeah. yeah. You know.
0: That's pretty cool. Do you remember? Do you keep your films? Do you have all your the films that you directed and wrote? I
1: do. I have um yeah. I have I have a whole drawer full of like DV tapes and and oh uh, you gotta get
0: those digitized because the the DV is analog, right?
1: Oh yeah. Uh I you know it's yeah, I guess so. I don't know. Yeah. yeah, I guess yeah. I should do that at some point. Yeah. yeah. So, um, but yeah, but that was really fun, and so I think that just kind of goes back to like, I don't really feel like, even though I wanted to become the world's greatest filmmaker, and that didn't happen, it did happen because I write stories, and you can't yeah. make a film without stories. So,
0: exactly, and it, and then, and also, it's the like with your graphic novels essentially that's like writing a screenplay it's to an extent yeah
1: well i mean writing a comic book script and i think writing a screenplay are very different i mean i think a lot of people think like if they write a screenplay and it doesn't sell oh it's so easy i can just make it into a graphic novel because (laughs) it's like
0: those people yeah.
1: (laughs) yeah and it's and it's you know certainly certainly there are some stories that probably lend themselves to you know comics but comics is a very different thing than film you know and so it's Mm -hmm. not just it's not like it's not like a one-to-one translation it's like you have to um you know um you know obviously in film there's movement and in comics there isn't movement like you're you know you're telling this story sequentially um from moment to moment and a lot of the life is happening in between the panels you know so um it's just it's just a very different field like i write comics all the time and i've written many 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 comics you know and um I don't know that. I don't know. Like, I'm like, I don't know how to write a screenplay. I mean, you know, there's movement. How do you do that? You know, like it's just different.
0: Yeah. And is that is so when you're writing a graphic novel, it sounds like you really have to consider the negative space between the panels Mm -hmm. um, and make sure and make, and that's probably like a fine balance of how much of the next scene, where do I start the next scene? How much back up do I go?
1: I mean, yeah, I mean, I think that like the great thing about comics is that it's a real collaboration between the book, the creators, the writer and the artist. Obviously, the artist is the person who's doing all of that heavy lifting of the sequential storytelling Um, and the reader, you know, Um, like for Shifting Earth. Right. Like Flavia Biondi, like, you know, uh, she you know, she I'm telling the story, I'm writing the script you know, depending on the artist that I'm working with, I may do open script, which is just sort of like, here's the action and the dialogue that's going to ha- has to happen on this page. And you, the artist are going to break it down into however many panels you think it should be. Maybe it's going to be a splash page. Maybe it's going to be three panels. Maybe it's going to be 12 panels. Maybe it's going to be five panels. You're making that decision. I'm. It's an open script. It's open for you to interpret. Or if you're doing a full script, which means that I'm sort of as the writer saying like, okay, here's what I think this page is going to be five panels and I'm going panel one, here's the action in the dialogue panel two, or, you know, here's the action in the dialogue. But, um, but I always say to whatever artist I'm collaborating with, like if you think if I've said this page needs five panels and you think it needs three, or you think it needs seven or whatever, then you do, you, you know, it, it's just a way of, um, of, collaborating in a different in a different way. Like I always um, I don't expect that I know the best way to tell the story sequentially. Um, You know, the art that's the artist's expertise. My job is to take care of the story part of it. But um, sometimes if you're doing open script, you know, that puts a lot of pressure on the, um, the artist to have to think and do all the mental labor and heavy work of trying to imagine what the hell the art, you know, the writer means, and so, um so when I do full script, it's it's more just sort of like here's some scaffolding of how I'm seeing it. Now you know how my brain is seeing it, and then you get to interpret it in whatever way you want. And so, you know, um, and it, and that's a a lot easier when you're doing a monthly comic book like Batgirl or you know any superhero comic, right? You don't have time. You're making a book every you know every six weeks. You know you gotta you get, that was me snapping everybody. <laughs> you got to like, you know, <laughs> you got to be at a quick clip, you know? And so, um, so you know, that, uh, I think the idea of doing full script when you're doing a monthly comic book is not so much like I am the goddess and you do what I say, but more like we're in a collaborative team here. We don't have time to mess around. So, uh, here's what my proposal is you know now you don't have to do all of the thinking you know uh and then you can propose back to me in thumbnails like hey this is how I saw it you know
0: wow so uh how many issues of back did you do you did a lot right
1: uh I did a year and a half yeah so yeah 18 issues
0: wow so,
1: yeah so that was I
0: mean you know. that's that, that that's like a full-time is that a full-time gig you're immersed for a year and a half
1: I mean yeah i mean that's, yeah, you know yeah. it's like it's your yeah it's your it's your job you know so it's right. like every 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 month you do a comic i mean i did that also with shade the changing girl and female furies those were monthlies um i love doing monthlies because it's sort of longer form storytelling and you can um you know things kind of change a little bit but i love um i love when they are like Shade the Changing Girl, which was also 18 issues and Female Furies was only six issues. But like, you know where there's a beginning and an end. So it feels like a novel, you know. Um, uh, Whereas like with Batgirl, it was going to be ongoing until, you know, big, big, you know, companies like DC, they then decide, okay, we're going to have a new event. And so we're going to change the teams up and we're going to change things up, you know, we're, ha- you know, so, um, so you just, you, you're, you just keep going and you're sort of like swimming in the, in the waters of, um, of that shared universe.
0: I love that kind of pressure. I, I get excited yeah. when there's that kind of pressure and it's just like that gun to the head where yeah. it's just like, this is due, this is going to be due. Yeah. If it's not done, you have failed everybody and i'm just going let's do it let's do it and
1: you know with the monthly comic what i learned from batgirl is that you know sometimes there are events that happen and then you have to switch up what you're doing to because you're in a shared universe and so you have to you have to constantly be ready to pivot to whatever is needed and because you're doing it every month um you know or every six weeks you you know or i mean hopefully you have a few in the can so that you know but right. but you have um but you have time to sort of make these big swings to you know accommodate whatever batman is doing in his book or you know whatever
0: oh interesting because you have to stay within the uh, mythology Continuity. of yeah. the, oh wow
1: Cause so you gotta call universe. the
0: Batman guys. You're like, hey, what are you guys doing? Because we're doing this. this <laughs> or this.
1: sometimes they just you know, like a like a email comes in and says, okay, now now you have to put this in there. I mean, it's great. It's 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 like surfing. I don't. I've never surfed before, but it's like you know, you just have to surf the narrative wave and yeah. um and go with it. And and that was like just kind of like Alpha sixty. It's like another good, interesting kind of training for um storytelling. You know.
0: Yeah. Almost. And I love the whole baptism by fire thing when you yes. get a script and you got to sit and you got two weeks to do it. And it's like, like what you guys were doing. Yeah. And, and it's just like,
1: ah, yeah, <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. We had that. I mean,
0: we had we had that in San Francisco and I started to get touch with it a little bit. We had Film Arts Foundation and Bay Area Video Coalition, and mm-hmm. there was a little bit here and there. But I just, there's part of me that's just like, oh, I wish I was in L.A. in those years, because it's yeah. just it's seemed. I mean, there's a ton of creative juices in San Francisco, but the creative juices in L.A. are like a flood. You know, it's yeah. pretty cool. Yeah, I've I've felt that since I've been down here too. Or just yeah, like,
1: yeah, yeah. Uh, no, I think I think a lot of people come to L.A. and they're like, "Oh, wait, there is stuff going on here besides Hollywood." And it's like, "Yeah, there is." You know, like and most people don't is.
0: really want anything to do with Hollywood in exactly. L.A., which is which is yeah. like so. Uh, it's yeah yeah it's
1: i mean don't get me wrong hollywood please come and option any of my books and make them into movies that would be amazing like then yeah. i could go to a premiere just like i dreamed of as a little kid
0: you, know? <laughs> <laughs> you still have time you yeah, still have time. exactly so, so oh wow so so what are you working on now or, or no no no. i want to ask you another question how do you write an opera where did you get what how do you do that i mean it's
1: the same as writing any story you um you you are are so
0: are you on the lyrics and then someone else does the music part or do you come in and go this is uh
1: nope i I, it's basically like writing comics it's like oh okay it's like writing punk rock yeah exactly okay all right it's like i mean i you know i am i yeah i write the story the libretto and um the words and i collaborate with a composer um i've i've done three operas um Two with a composer named Andre Riestik, one with a composer named Charlotte Marlowe. And actually, I have a premiere of a um on Wednesday of a um opera aria with composer Rose Hall. And that's We're- pretty ex- it's in Philadelphia.
0: Oh, okay. Um, and it's, like where uh, and then I know. you said Philadelphia I know. and they went, oh I
1: know it's Philadelphia and it's um it's inspired by uh the Parker Solar Probe. Uh that NASA has that is currently circling, um, the sun. Uh So the piece is it's an opera aria and it's called touching the sun and Pia Guerrera, who, um, is a comic book artist. Um, she did, uh, why the last man she's best known for that. Um, I commissioned her to do a three panel sort of comic of the, of the probe so that like it could be projected while the thing. So I'm always trying to mix comics with opera and, um, you know sort of explore the form of comics i mean it's not all i do i yeah. obviously write prose as well but um but i just like doing sort of hybrid kind of things and like seeing how we can mix arts together
0: so what what was it like when you wrote your first opera and then you heard the singer sing it to a crowd i mean that that's got to be a i mean i would be this is me in my head are my words? She's saying, she's doing it right. She's
1: doing it right. (laughs) Well, I mean, it's incredible. I mean, uh, the Uh, first opera that I did was called Les Aventures de Madame Merveille. um, And it's, uh, it was a, it was a comic book opera. Basically it was four movements and it was um, uh, a kid's comic, a science fiction comic, a superhero comic and a romance comic. And the idea was like how, when, you know, um, when we engage with comics a lot of times when we were little or when we were younger and like, the olden days, um, you would move from one genre to another. And, um, and so, uh, I wrote it and then I commissioned some artists to do some comic book art. So it was kind of like a graphic opera and, um, Andre Ristik and I, like, we went to the BAMP Center for the Arts in Canada for like 10 days and just like worked on it. And, um, and then, you know, I mean, I would hear him doing the piano stuff, you know, but I couldn't hear what it was going to be like, you know, and he'd put my words to things. And then, um, and then the first rehearsal that we had and they started singing, I was like, oh my God, like, cause opera is so emotional and yeah. it's so, um, visceral, uh, it's like, you don't. And that's why I wanted to mix opera with comics was because you don't always understand what the heck is going on in a, um, in a, in a, in an opera, but you feel like a lot of people are having a lot of big feelings. And so the comics kind of lends it, but this was another really great learning lesson for me is because like with Andre, you know, uh, one of the arias was like, um, you know, this uh, the superhero gets split by a gamma ray and between her secret identity and her superhero. And all, everybody loves the superhero, but nobody loves the secret identity librarian, mousy librarian. And she's very jealous of herself, you know, of her alter ego. And uh, so I wrote this whole big, you know, aria about like, why do they all love her? I'm just as important. I'm this, that, the other thing, whatever, blah, blah, blah. It's this whole heartfelt thing. And Andre comes back to me and goes, okay, I wrote it. And it's like, you know, two pages. And it's like, why do they all love her? And then the rest is two pages of why, 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 why? And he's thrown out all my words. And I was like, (gasps) and then I was like, oh, that's better. And it's truer. And um, so once again, like that was like another real learning curve of like, um, of like, you know, sort of getting, you know, economizing, uh, you know, the emotions.
0: And that makes so much, yeah, I, just the dual identity thing. There's been, yeah. you know, with, I have felt that myself, like even doing this uh, podcast, you know, Drinks with Tony and people go either like they meet me and they'll, they'll be like, oh yeah, he did that film. Uh, you know, oh he, he wrote that book and they're just looking at eh. Uh, yeah and he does drinks with Tony oh you're the drinks with Tony guy and I'm like right right that's the little thing I do I, right, I, I put right. so much work at the other stuff right right and then I just realized wait okay that's fine I'm the drinks with Tony guy yeah.
1: yeah yeah so yeah so that's that um and yeah but I love comics obviously and you know yeah
0: what was what were what were some of the first comics that you read when you were a kid that you're that kind of blew your um, mind
1: my, um, my parents bought me a, a, sort of omnibus of like golden age, Batman and Superman. So that was like oh, my wow. first yeah. and then, um, and then peanuts and, um, Tintin I'm French. So, you know, Tintin asterix, lucky Luke. Um, and then my brother had like a, a, you know, started going to comic book stores and had a pull list. Oh, you had so. an older brother, younger brother, younger brother, but younger brother, but his, younger his brother books- was schooling you. His, his books, no, he just like had a good taste in science fiction. And so I just assumed that his bookshelf was my bookshelf too. <laughs> I would just take his books. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, um, yeah.
0: Where did you see the first Star Wars? Uh,
1: I guess it was Long Island somewhere.
0: Really? Oh, okay It was in the movie theater? Yeah. Yeah. I saw it at a, my parents took me to the drive-in.
1: Oh, yeah. No. Yeah. I mean,
0: that's like such yeah. a terrible way to see Star Wars <laughs> with a tinny little. Uh,
1: yeah. I don't think I've ever been to a drive in.
0: <laughs> really?
1: Maybe. Once. Oh, yeah.
0: I guess it's probably harder in New York City because. Yeah,
1: it just wasn't like. Yeah, it just wasn't a part of my, yeah. my thing. I think I went once, but, it, you know, it's not not like, it's not like this to me. It's like, that's what happened in the 1950s.
0: Yeah. And it stayed in the suburbs, I I think. And
1: I didn't do it during the pandemic because they were having a lot of things, but I was alone. And it would be like 80 bucks for your car to like go to a, I don't know, like I'm not paying, if that's four people in the car, that's great, but I'm by myself, like that's too much money, you know, I'll just like watch Netflix, you know, so, so I was kind of bummed that I missed, uh, I missed that because they were having a bunch in, in Griffith Park and stuff. So, but that's
0: right. Yeah. Yeah. I missed a lot of those too. Because it's just everything was so back and forth. Then they were having like drive-in stand-up comedy too, where it's just like I, I think the comedy store was trying to do something where they had it in a yeah. large area. They just they they really just needed to do construction. Yeah, right, right when we're taping. Oh, thanks, right. thanks, thanks, guys.
1: Um- so, yeah. So, wait, what were we going to move on? What were, what were we talking about? I don't know. Okay. Well, all right. <laughs> let's talk about Shifting Earth because that's my new book.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, no. I was asking about Star Wars because I looked on your website and it said, you did you sleep for like six days or six nights before the premiere?
1: Six weeks.
0: Six weeks?
1: Yeah, six weeks.
0: You lived on the street for six weeks to see Star Wars.
1: Yes. Star Wars Episode One: The Phantom Menace. On Hollywood Why, why
0: would anyone wait six weeks? Like, what what's was there a lot of people waiting six weeks yeah, or was, okay. So it wasn't just you like kind of, no. and
1: we were raising money for the starlight children's foundation. We got a permit from the city and, mm. you know, we, um, Oh, so we, it was a thing. Yeah. We popped up oh. our tents and we waited in line. And then the, the thing was we had, it was, a you know, we raised money and then like, um, the, you know, and then that gave us the opportunity to be first because there wasn't really online ticketing. <laughs> right. Exactly. 1999. So, um, So yeah, so then we had the you know we were allowed to buy the first tickets for the first screening at the man's Chinese theater. So yeah, oh fun, yeah it was great.
0: That was it. That came out in 1999. Because 1999 is kind of a funky. I always I always think of 1999 as like this really juicy year for a film because that was like the Matrix, Fight Club. Yeah,
1: I I saw the Matrix. When I was living on the Star Wars line at the man's Chinese theater, because it was pouring rain one day and I was like, I got to get out of this rain. So I stepped out of the line. You had to sign in and out of the line. I uh-huh. stepped out of the line and went to, uh, you know, two steps away to the man's Chinese theater to get out of the rain and watch the Matrix.
0: Yeah. And I, I don't know if you remember just the like a movie like the Matrix was just so mind blowing. Yeah, at it was mind blowing.
1: Yeah. Yeah, the other thing that I did on uh, the Star Wars line is Barnes and Noble came and gave us books uh, to read because we were sitting there, (laughs) Uh and uh, and so I read Infinite Jest. That's what I. Oh wow!
0: (laughs) So so how long did Infinite Jest take you to read?
1: I mean, six weeks, I guess. Now, now,
0: now, now I now do you like Infinite Jest?
1: I mean, I have to honestly say that I don't really have any opinion on it. Uh, I, I remember it was just kind of some, like, you know, I, I I was being overstimulated by a lot of other things. So right. it's like when I think about the reading of that book, I remember I remember it being very complicated and there was a lot of footnotes. And, like, I can remember reading it, but I can't remember it, you know?
0: Interesting, because uh, I've tried it twice, up to page 200. Oh yeah, and then so, and then someone else is just like, no, dude, you just don't get it yet. You gotta try it again. And I'm like, all right, I'll try it again. And then I was just like, at 200, I was like, no, no, I don't need to try this. This book sucks.
1: I think it and- doesn't. I think for me, it didn't matter. It was just yeah. like I was reading a book, and it was like that. You know, that was just keeping me me occupied. But um, but yeah. See,
0: but I but it could be my problem too because I used to think Ulysses sucked because I tried to read that when I was 30, mm-hmm. and then I read it this last summer, and I'm like. And I'm just, and my heart is still like completely open to James Joyce. Now I'm just like, Oh my God, he is. And
1: I've never managed to read Ulysses. So, and that's on my list of, I actually bought a copy Ulysses. That's the one with Bloomsday. Is that the. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Okay. So I did a signing once for one of my books on Bloomsday. And so I Uh bought Ulysses and I made the entire audience at my reading and my book launch Right in the book, encouraging remarks for me, so that I would be able to like finish Ulysses. But I never even cracked it open.
0: But you still (laughs) have it.
1: I still have it. Yeah, I still have
0: it. Is it? What is it? The um, I forgot what. I'm 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 probably sounding like
1: I have no idea.
0: Yeah, no idea. Is it the There's the like the blue version. See, I bought the blue one. I tried that, and I just and that freaked me out. And then I took a class. So when I I took a class.
1: I have no idea and it doesn't matter. It's on one of my shelves somewhere, but there are so many, I have so many books in my house that there are other books, you know, it's like a double, double shelf. Oh know, yeah. Shelf situation. So it's behind one of those books and I'm not going in there to find out.
0: No, no, I wasn't asking to find yeah, it. No, no, I, no. I, I get it. I was like looking at my books going, I need to get rid of like a hundred of these.
1: I know. Cause, I'm cause trying I need to a... read. Yeah. I'm trying to read books out of my house. So like, yeah. I'll read a book and then I'm like, okay, I appreciate you and fantastic, or you were terrible. <laughs> I don't like you, um, but you are now going to exit my house. And I put them in like a little free library that's down the street. I'm just trying to read them out.
0: Yeah, that's a, that's a great way to put it. And But the problem with me is sometimes I like them so much that I'm making all these notes. And then I have a problem getting rid of those books. Because I'm like, oh, wait, I'm going to hit that again. I need to read that again.
1: Well, I mean, there's definitely book, like, I have a bookshelf in my living room that is books that I want to read that I don't think I'm going to want to keep. Oh, you know? and, I then like I that. like, and then a good I have like, and then I have a bookshelf system. that is like books that I want to read and I'm probably going to keep. And
0: yeah. then I
1: have like my signed books that I'm like, I either love you so much or you're signed <laughs> but, right and I hate you but you're signed and so I'm gonna keep you right. um so there, there's like three different different sections so I'm trying to read through um the ones that I am okay to get rid of, you know like you know, like I I just um reread Jane Eyre and uh, oh, I yeah. was like, I'm... I don't need to keep that I uh-huh. I I know where to find it if I need it again. yeah, I can that one can go.
0: That's yeah. yeah. Yeah, I haven't read that. So, yeah. I'm 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 always trying to catch up I think on um some, you know, points in my life where I missed the culture.
1: Oh <laughs> yeah. So, no, I mean there's so many things. I mean even movies sometimes I'm yeah. like, wow, I can't believe I'm such a cinephile and I've not seen that film yet or whatever it is, you know. So or, you know, television show or, you know, book whatever, you know, they're always there for you. So, and I, I kind of feel like art sometimes it's like you have to be ready for it. It It has to come to you at the right time. Like I have, you know, we have plenty of friends who are authors. I buy their books. I might not have read it. You know, it might take me five, six years before I get to their new book Yeah, or, you know, the new book from five, six years ago. And that's because, you know, a book i think lets you know when you're ready for it
0: yeah there's and it's and so and it's uh yeah, it always blows my mind when a book comes at the right time like even ulysses i was having such a i was having such a it was such a depressing like time happening um some months ago and i just saw it on my uh coffee table and i it was like i'm coming home to you yeah i just like and that kind of got me through the day or just like i can't wait to hit you um the next episode or whatever.
1: Yeah, and 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 I think that like I think once I realized that because I know when I first started my literary career, I really felt very much like I had to read everything that was out. I had mm-hmm. to read all the hot books. I had to read like you know, I had to keep up with my field of young adult fiction. I had to, everything I had, it was like, it was so much work, you know, and, and all the joy was sucked out of reading because everything felt like it was like this thing that I had to do. And there was all this pressure. And so I wasn't enjoying reading at all and reading anything. And then one day I was just like, I'm not going to read anymore. I'm not going to read anything that I don't want to read anymore. And if it's, and so now it's like, I'll buy everybody's book when I go to their reading. I buy them and I'm gonna read them, but it's like now if it takes me a decade to read somebody's book, you know what? So be it. Mm-hmm. And it will come to me at the exact right time. And I know my for myself as an author, if like if you said to me right now, Oh, I just read your first novel from 20 years ago, I would be delighted. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Like, yeah, so yeah. I figure that like my friends, if I finally say, like, hey, I finally read whatever book it is of theirs, that they would be delighted because it's, it's someone's, someone's been hanging out with them, you know? So, um, and that increased my reading joy by like about a million.
0: Interesting. That is so interesting. I, you know, I also find that depending on uh, what, like what I'm reading or who I'm reading, I kind of have to protect my energy a little bit because I'm also writing.
1: Writing. Yeah, exactly. So,
0: so it's just, I, I, and Janet Fitch said this to me that yeah. writing is breathing out. Reading is breathing in. She always yeah. uses, she uses that a lot. And it's just like, and what I breathe in, I need to, you know, there's times where I'm just like, Ooh, I can't breathe that in. You know, yeah. just, anything with serial killers and stuff I can't do just because I can't get into the psychotic well, mind.
1: And, and sometimes it's like, I read stuff because, it's the vibe that I'm looking for. It's the vibe that I want to stay in for the work that I'm doing, yeah. the writing that I'm doing. And sometimes I'm like, I want to read something fluffy and light and something that has nothing that is so far away from what I'm working on so that, um, so that I'm not, there's no cross pollination. There's no, you know, it just depends. Yeah. It really just depends, you know? So um, like, uh, yeah, it just, it just, it just depends.
0: Yeah. It's like even, even I teach too. So even teaching, it's just like, I can't take on too much because the writing is always number one. Yeah. It's just that it's that everything has to feed that, you know, and then sometimes I'll even, well, even now I'm getting in like better shape because of something I'm working on, but I'm like, my mind has to have blood flow going to it. So I can get more done uh, during the day. You know, know you get, if you have those weird um things that you do they're not weird
1: no they're not in weird. fact
0: they're normal they're, but we're just different
1: yeah but they're i mean they're just part of your process and what i find is like a lot of times what i find really interesting is that each project that i'm working on each book that i'm working on is told like i need totally different things for it it's like i can't rely on what worked for the previous but like i can't rely on you know the things that worked for shifting earth for the book that I'm working on now, it's a totally different book. And that's why it's like, it's funny. Like when I have a panic attack and, you know, I start panicking about like, oh my God, is it over? I have no ideas. I can't write. This book is terrible. I can't finish it. Like whatever. And some of my friends who are not writers, they'll be like, but you've done it like 20 times before. Like, what's the problem? You know, I'm like, but I've never written this book before. (laughs) Like this book I haven't written before. I don't know if I can finish this one, you know? So that's, um, Yeah. It's just, it's just a process.
0: And I like that you bring up the idea that, um, well, what I have also found is that each, each book or each pro or each project has its own personality. Mm -hmm. And it's almost like we have to get out of the way of it and go, Oh, wait, you need it done this way. Okay. I've never done it like this before. And it's, you know, there's uh yeah, there's those moments of panic, especially after working on months and months on something and you go, um oh crap this might not be anything.
1: Yeah. I mean I just you know I'm working on a graphic novel right now. Um that's going to that's going to be out on Little Brown it's a young adult um book it's you know um and I wrote the whole script and I wrote it one way and it's kind of personal but it's also not personal and it you know but it's like you know it's sort of digging touching on some trigger things for me and like you know it's you know g- going deep into the wounds and stuff and um and I wrote the whole manuscript and I, or I wrote like 75% of it. And I was like, I'm stuck. And so I sent it to my editor and I was like, here's what I've come up with. Like, whatever. And she was like, I think you're, because this is a per, because even though it's fiction, it's a personal thing. I think that you're shying away from you know, you're doing a lot of flowery things in order to like, stay away from the page a little bit. And so I had to throw the whole thing out, you know, like I had to throw it all. And I was like, oh man, you're right. Like that is totally right. And, um, and I'd never had to do that before. You know, I'd never had to like, you know, I, I, I'd never seen so clearly how I was trying to create a psychic distance for me from the page, you know? And, um, and so, I rewrote it and I handed it in. I'm waiting for notes, um, uh, and I don't know how it's going to land. But like when I read it, um, you know, it's 255 pages, and I was like, "Of yeah, you know, comics," and I was like, "Okay, well, I don't want to vomit. <laughs> I'm <laughs> reading it, and I don't want to vomit." So, I, you know, I'm not as embarrassed as I thought you know what I mean? Like, I think yeah. I, I think I inched up towards the page, you know? And I think that's the thing about writing is that you learn something new every single time, right? We're, we're crafts people, you know, yeah. it's like, you never, I would never, like, when I look at my first novel, Boyproof, um, I had to reread it like five years ago for some, you know, I was doing a school visit and they wanted to talk about it and I, and I reread it and I was like, oh my goodness, I would never write this book yeah. like that now, no. you know, yeah. like, you know, it was so, it was so, it was juvenilia, you know, it was like so young. Mm-hmm. It was like, um, it was interesting for, um, I have this book with Jim Rugg called the plain Jane's." It's a comic book uh, about an all girl art activism group. And, um, you know, we'd done book one and two on DC comics in 2007, 2008. And then little Brown and uh, we, we'd, you know, we, it would, it had always been imagined as four books and DC comics canceled the line. And so we never got to finish the story. And um, I, me and Jim asked, we got, you know, it took us years, but we finally got the rights back and we, you know, so we were, we were like, yes, we're going to finish the book. So we did a book three where we like combined our ideas for book three and four into one little Brown put it out as an omnibus. It was really exciting. But when we were writing the book, you know, it was, whatever, it was like 2017, 2018, it was 10 years later, I write differently. And, you know, Jim draws differently. And so it was this really weird thing to look back at this book that we'd done, which I'm really proud of like, it's really good, but it's like, Oh, I would never do this this way now. And like, Jim is like, Oh, I would never draw that this way now, Yeah. but we still have, because it was the third book in this series, we had to sort of go back to our own ABCs and sort of mimic our early work in order to make it flow from, you know, the, from those two books into the third book. And that was, A really fascinating exercise because um, because we had to like really sort of dig into what was good about that and how we could make it better, but also how we how we had to match match the voice and tone of what we'd done, and that was ten years later, and it was interesting.
0: It's so weird. And then when you're writing the the first uh, two books you don't know inside yourself 10 years older me is gonna be writing the rest of you.
1: Yeah, See and for you then. Me, yeah, and for me that was the plain Janes is the first comic that I'd ever written. I'd written prose, I'd written two novels, but I'd never written comics, although I loved comics. And so huh. I remember at one point like the um you know I I was feeling very boxed in by the by you know the um the the sequentialness of it, you know, like uh-huh. going from panel to panel. And I called up Jim Rugg crying, crying hysterically and just being like, Jim, I don't know how to I don't know how to do this because he was drawing behind me because we were on a deadline. So I was writing the script as he was drawing. And um, so, you know, like I could I it wasn't I mean, we had an editor, but, it, you know, it's kind of like when you do a monthly comic, you can't go back and rewrite because you right. got a better idea down the line. You just got to go with it, you know. And um, so I was crying and and I was like, I don't know what I'm doing. I feel really claustrophobic, like moving from panel to panel. I don't know. I I feel stuck. I don't know how to move the action forward. And that's when Jim said to me, he was like, Cecil, we're swim buddies. We're in this together. Just write whatever crazy thing you want on the page and I will figure it out and we will talk about it and it will be okay. And that was really the best comic book lesson that I got was that when you're making a comic, you've got a teammate working together. And so, and so now I think of the scripts, not all of them, but like some of them, I think of them as letters to the, you know, to the artist, you know, like if I'm doing something with someone that I've worked with, or, you know, that I, I know it'll be like, Hey, okay. So what do you think if blah, 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 blah in the, in the script, because, I know we're going to have a conversation about it if we're going to WhatsApp each other. I mean, you know, even with Flavia on Shifting Earth, who I don't know who speaks Italian, like, you know, you know, I would propose something and then she would write me and like say, hey, I was thinking about this page. What do you think if I did something like this? Because it's a collaboration, you know, you're creating it together.
0: That's and and writing so solitary, that just sounds juicy. And it it sounds like a hug. It sounds like a hug working together. But yeah. you want to kill each other sometimes, too. There's always that, I think.
1: Yeah, but I mean, I think maybe maybe being, you know, I think writing comics, making an opera, whatever, it's it's kind of like being in a punk band, right? Like, you know, yeah. it's like you're jamming with somebody and that's really fun. Maybe the reason why I'm OK with it, I think I've said this before in other places, is that like I can always retreat to writing a novel or writing a short story where I am the goddess and everything I say goes. <laughs> like, I can Isn't always that nice? do that. Yeah. Yes, so, I
0: think I think we have that as novelists and and stand up comedians yep. always have this. It's just like yep. I can live or die by this. Yep. No one can take that. And
1: so me. but that allows me to then not be so precious when I'm collaborating, because I do have a space that if I really need it, I can go and command, make my own commands, you know, so. it's
0: fun. It's Godlike.
1: Yeah, yeah. Cecil. So, um, Yeah.
0: Thank you so much for coming on the show.
1: Oh, you're welcome so much. Everybody go buy Shifting Earth. It's really good. It's science fiction. Parallel
3: Earths. (laughs) That's great. swing et les, swings, et les super cute, ça fait ça fait et ça fait ou bien ou parfois même viens petite fille dans mon comic strip viens faire des bulles viens faire des des des, des, des et des viens Avec moi par-dessus le building, ça fait quand on s'envole et puis après quoi je fais et ça fait. Comic strip Viens faire des bulles Viens faire des Whip, Des Clip crack Des bang, Des hop et des Zip shabam Pow Blom Win N'aie pas peur bébé Agrippe toi Je suis là Crash, Pour te protéger Ferme crack, les yeux Embrasse moi Zip shabam Pow Block, Win Shabam
0: Shabam! Pow! Woo! Cecil Castellucci on Drinks with Tony. Check out her new book, Shifting Earth. Next week on the show, we have Kelly DeSaint. He'll be discussing his book, Dispatches from Behind the Wheel, The Omnibus, the complete zine series about driving for hire in San Francisco. Until next week, keep drinking from the fountain of literary arts. Thanks for listening. Thank <music> You're listening to 101.9 FM KPCRLP Santa Cruz
2: T'es toute nu sous ton poul y a la rue qui m'a boule joli mom t'as ton cœur à ton cou et le bonheur par en dessous joli mom D'alrimel qui fout le camp, c'est le dégel des amants, joli mot Ta prairie, ça sent bon, faisant don aux amis, joli mot T'es qu'une fleur du printemps qui se fout de l'heure et du temps T'es qu'une rose éclatée que l'on pose à côté, joli mot Un brin de soleil dans le chagrin du réveil T'es qu'une ventre qu'on éteint Comme une lampe au matin Joli môme Tes baisers sont pointus Comme un accent aigu Joli môme Tes petits seins sont du jour À la coque, à l'amour Joli môme Ta barrière de foufou Faut se la faire Mais c'est tout, joli môme La violette et le violon confiolante et c'est bon, joli môme T'es qu'une fleur de passe-temps qui se fout de l'heure et du temps T'es qu'une étoile d'amour qu'on entoile au beau jour, joli môme T'es qu'un point sur les i du chagrin de la vie T'es qu'une chose de la vie qu'on arrose, qu'on oublie, joli môme Joli môme, t'as qu'une rime au bonheur, faut que ça rime ou que ça pleure. Joli môme, t'as qu'une source au milieu qui éclabousse du bon Dieu. Joli môme, t'as qu'une porte en voile blanc que l'on pousse en chantant. Joli môme, t'es qu'une pauvre petite. Mauvais qui meurt T'es qu'une femme a repassé Quand son âme est froissée Joli môme T'es qu'une feuille de l'automne Qu'on les feuilles monotones, T'es qu'une joie en allée Viens chez moi la retour Joli môme T'es toute nue sous ton poule Y'a la rue et ma boule Joli môme